the book of First Peter chapter 1. We're taking a break from the book of James just this morning in order that we can really concentrate and focus on communion. Today being the first of the month, we're going to now worship the Lord, not only in our giving, not only in our worship of singing, but also we're going to worship the Lord in communion. And here in 1 Peter, just a little background, we start to see and to notice that Peter is writing here to a persecuted church. He's writing to a persecuted church to give them encouragement to continue to live holy lives in times of difficulty and in times of tribulation. And maybe this morning you can also say that you are living in a difficult time. We as a church, as a country, as a nation, we're living through difficult times, through trials right now and through tribulations. And now the church here, the Christian church, the Jewish believers and Gentiles were being persecuted by Caesar Nero. In fact, church history tells us that Caesar Nero would persecute the Christians and he would use them as human candles to light the entire city. And he blamed now the burning down of Rome on the Christians. So now you have here Peter that is coming to encourage them in the time of persecution. Now I want, to, I want you to know that before we go into 1 Peter is that the persecution can either cause growth in your life or it can cause bitterness in your life. The trial can either cause a moment of growth or it can cause a moment of bitterness. And today in the season that we find ourselves in, we have to ask ourselves, what is the trial now producing in me? Is it causing any growth in my life, spiritual growth, or is it causing bitterness in my life right now? Because what Peter's going to tell them is that he is encouraging them to conduct themselves courageously for Jesus Christ. Because they needed strength in this moment. They were suffering. They were going through trials, through tribulations. And he's going to tell us how to live a victorious Christian life in the middle of hostility. <laughs> now that's, this is for the time today. Because we are living in the middle of hostility, of a lot of hatred, of a lot of anger, of a lot of division in our world today. But how do we as Christians, how do we as a church, able to still live a holy, Christian, victorious life? And that's exactly what he's going to encourage us to do. In fact, he says, I want you to live this life without losing hope. I want you to live this Christian life without becoming bitter or resentful or angry. I want you to live this life while trusting in the Lord and while looking forward to heaven. That's why we titled today's message, A Call to Holy Living. A Call to Holy Living. Because we want to be living a life today and even in hostile moments, even in moments of division, live a life like you've been born again. Living a life like you've been born again. Why don't we go ahead and pray right now. Lord Heavenly Father, we thank you Lord for your word. We thank you because it is true. And Lord, as those Christians that Peter is writing to were going through persecution and through trials, Lord. We ask that we today would remember our heavenly inheritance. That we would stay focused. That we would live consistent to the word of God. We know that we are in this world, we're not of this world, we're not living for this world. 
Please give us the spiritual perspective that we need today. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. And together we said, Amen. Now notice what he's doing here. He's going to give them spiritual perspective in order that they are encouraged to live a holy life. And he wants them to focus. Now before we go to the main text of verse 13, I want to just draw your attention quickly to verse 1 of 1 Peter because this is the first encouragement that the Christians receive here in chapter 1 and verse 1 of Peter. Now notice what he says this, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, and here is the strong power word that we now receive as Peter calls the Christians now pilgrims. Pilgrims of Galatia, of Cappadocia, of Asia, of Bithynia now, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Now you see that he's going to encourage them in their moment of difficulty, in their moment of trial, by reminding them and calling them pilgrims. <laughs> now I love this word of pilgrim. Because he wants to remind them right now, as you're being persecuted right now, you are a temporary resident now. You are a foreigner here in this world. And oftentimes, while we're going through suffering, while we're going through now tribulation, while we're going through the hour of trial, which we're all living in right now, we have to remember that we are pilgrims. We're foreigners. We're sojourners. Now this is an amazing word now because he tells them not only are you a pilgrim, but you are also set apart for obedience because of the blood of Jesus Christ that has set you apart and that purchased your freedom from the bondage of sin. Now do you know one thing that's so important when we study the word pilgrim? That, that a pilgrim is on a journey. And, and a pilgrim really it has not settled down because this is not their home. And for us as Christians, we are pilgrims. This is not our home. We ought to not settle down and we will never settle down until we get to heaven. This is why he's reminding them this. You're a pilgrim. Know this, you're not settling down right here. You're just passing by. You're a sojourner. You are on a journey. In fact, we are on a pilgrim course that started at the cross and is going to end in glory. That is our pilgrim course. But then we go down to verse 6 of chapter 1. After telling them that they're pilgrims, he wants to encourage them in their trial. And notice what he tells them in verse 6 of chapter 1. In this you greatly rejoice. Now the, know this. The rejoicing that happened is not based off of circumstances. The rejoicing that is happening is basing on tr uh, trusting on the Lord in the moment of the fiery trial. And he says this, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while. <laughs> and I want you to circle that in your Bible for a little while. <laughs> there are often times that we think, Lord, when is this trial going to end? When is this suffering going to end? When is the persecution going to end, Lord? When is the pressure going to finish already? Well, he reminds them now it's just a little while in comparison or in contrast now to the promise of eternal life that they have and the inheritance of heaven. Now notice what he says this in verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, if God deems it necessary in your life that you have been grieved by various trials. 
Maybe for a little while you've been grieved by these trials. I want you to rejoice in this. Notice verse 7. That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now isn't this amazing here that he's reminding them? It's just a little while this trial. And although you are grieved right now, as you're going through this trial, I want you to rejoice because just like gold is refined in the fire, so also your faith is refined in the fiery trial. And we know that what does the fire do to gold? It melts away the impurities. It tests the gold. It proves the gold authentic. And what he's saying here is that this fiery trial is going to melt away the impurities that are taking place in your life. So that it produces growth. So that it produces spiritual maturity. So that it produces endurance in your life. I like how it's been said before when I've heard this quote. Faith needs to be tested. Otherwise, it cannot be verified. Faith needs to be tested. Otherwise, it cannot be verified. Do you know how your test is, your faith is verified? Your faith is verified as it is tested in the fiery trial to see now the authenticity of our faith. And this is exactly what he's saying. This moment is causing spiritual growth in your life. Therefore, you can rejoice. Not only are you a pilgrim, just passing by to heaven. Not only can you rejoice because God is producing spiritual growth right now. But then in verse 9, look what he tells him this. That as you're trusting God, you have a reward. And the reward of trusting God right now is the salvation of your souls. What a comfort here for us this morning. It says in verse 9, receiving the end of your faith. The salvation of your souls. This is the end of our faith. This is the finish line. Church, Christians, persecuted church. Look at the finish line. The reward at the finish line is the salvation of your souls. You are a pilgrim. You're just passing by. Do not settle down until you get to heaven. Know that right now is just a little while. God is producing something in you. And also realize that at the finish line is the salvation of your souls. Why does he tell him this? Why in the beginning of this letter does he tell this to the church? Because he wants to encourage them so that they don't become discouraged, stumble, and fall away. Do you know how many Christians today are stumbling because of discouragement and they fall away? They start to compromise so that they fall away because of the trial. Or here he wants to tell them, just hold on. It's always too soon to quit. God is doing something in your life. And he wants them to live holy lives. That's why we're going to draw our attention to chapter 13, where we're going to spend most of our time this morning at. Because we're going to talk about three major points. Number one, the disciplined mind. Number two, the living hope. And number three, the enduring word. Number one, the disciplined mind. If you want to live a holy life, you must have a disciplined mind. Also, the living hope that we have today and the enduring word. Notice what he says here. Therefore, having been said that now having said that you're a pilgrim that God is doing something and also that the end is the salvation of your souls therefore gird up the loins of your mind be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ now this is amazing here because he gives us 
three exhortations in, very, in the very first verse that we're going to look at, verse 13. And first he says, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Now, what does that mean? <laughs> that is not something that we use today. That's not something that you go up to someone and say, hey, I need you to gird up the loins of your mind. What is in the world does that mean? Now, culturally, in this time, what would happen is that, that the man and the woman would walk in long robes. And whenever they had to serve someone, they would have to gird themselves up. The Bible tells us in John 13 that Jesus girded himself. He tied a belt around his waist so that he can kneel down and wash the disciples' feet. What they would do is that they would gird, they would tie a belt around their tunic to raise their tunic now. So that they can effectively fulfill their purpose in serving. And what he's telling them now is, I want you to gird your mind. I want you to, so to speak, roll up your sleeves and get ready to work. Or prepare your mind for action. Now what does he say, gird up the loins of your mind? Because he's telling us to put your mind, notice this, under control. If you want to live a holy life as God has called you, you must put your mind under control. And what he's talking about here is that you must control your mind and the things that you decide to look upon and to think about. Are you controlling your mind today, church? So that your mind, there is no sloppy thinking. Here, when he says, gird up the loins of your mind, he's talking about the reproductive power of your mind. He says, I want you to pull in all of the loose ends now in your mind by rejecting any type of hindrance, by rejecting any type of distraction in your mind so that you can focus on the grace of God without hindrances, and you can actually grow. Pull in all those loose ends right now in your mind that don't honor God. Pull in all those loose ends of distraction now that keep you away from serving the Lord. Gird up the loins of your mind. Have your mind under control. Now notice what he says here again in verse 13. Now the second exhortation, be sober-minded. Not only do you ought to you, to you to control your mind or put your mind under control, but also sober-minded means to exercise self-control. Exercise self-control when it comes to your mind. Sober-minded. Now we know when someone is sober, what does it mean? That they are not influenced by outside substances. And what he's talking about here, when he talks about the mind being sober-minded, he says, do not let your mind be controlled by any outside influences of the world. Not only gird up the loins of your mind, but do not let your mind now be influenced by anything of the world. In fact, let your mind have clarity now so that you change your priorities and you're not, so to speak, intoxicated with the distractions or with the allurements now of sin in the world. Sober-minded. Now ask yourself right now, have I let anything in my mind take me away or influence me away from God's calling in my life? Am I sober-minded? Do I have clarity of mind or am I allowing something to disturb now God's will for my life because my mind is distracted? Where is your mind today? For some of us, maybe our mind is not even here right now. What do we have to ask the Lord? Lord, give me a mind that is under control that doesn't allow anything of the world to distract me and that I not be influenced. Let me be sober-minded. Let me not be influenced by anything outside. Now I want you to know this, it is possible. 
by the power of the Holy Spirit, that you can decide on what you can set your mind on and what you can set your mind to do. You don't have to set your mind on things that are impure. You don't have to set your mind on things that are sinful. And oftentimes we think, well, I, I, I have no other option in my flesh. No, the Bible tells us that you can set your mind on whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are praiseworthy, whatever things are a good report. Meditate on these things. And then the peace of God that surpasses all understanding and the God of peace will fill your heart and guard your mind. Do you see what he's talking about the mind here? Because the mind here is the spiritual ground for all spiritual warfare. You know where spiritual warfare begins? Where's the battleground for spiritual warfare? It begins in the mind. That's where it starts. That's why he's telling us, if you ought to live a holy life, you must have, number one, a mature mind. A mind that is focused on the Lord. In fact, we will fail. And I want you to know this. We will all fail in spiritual warfare if we do not gird up the loins of our mind. If we don't say, Lord... Through your power, I want to pull in all those loose ends of distraction, of influences that are coming in my mind to distract me. And then he tells us in verse 13, and put your hope. Notice this verse 13, the hope fully on the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now I want you to know this in tribulation, in trial, in suffering church. Now put your mind into control right now. <laughs> Focus church, he's telling them. And also, put your hope or get rest, get strength now, or lean in with confidence. No, right now, lean in with confidence now, fully on the future grace of God, which is your salvation. Now, do you see how he's giving them some practical tools as to how they ought to grow in their spiritual walk? Control your mind and then lean in to the future grace of God, which is your eternal salvation at the culmination or the salvation now uh, and revelation of Jesus Christ. He said, I want you to think about this, that God is going to give us the final victory, that we are going to be raptured by Christ, that we are going to come with him in the second coming. And we can rest our hope, our expectation. We can have confidence today in the pressure because our hope and our expectation, our strength is in heaven. In knowing that we have our final victory. But notice he talks a lot about the mind. Because our hope begins also in our mind. Now notice the mind is so important because we cannot give God our heart if our mind still belongs to the world. Oftentimes we give God our heart, but listen to what happens. Our mind is still in the world. That's why in Colossians chapter 3, what does Paul tell the church of Colossae? Set your mind on things above. Seek on things above and not on things of the earth. For your life is hidden with Christ and God. When He appears, you will also appear with Him in glory. Notice, He speaks about the mind before He speaks about the action. He's going to talk about action right here. What you ought to do, but first, it starts in the mind. There are so many people today in the church that fail when it comes to temptation because their mind is not under control. Because they're not meditating on the Word of God. They're not meditating on prayer. And before you can live a holy life, you must cultivate a holy mind. Before you can live a holy life, you must cultivate a holy mind. And the only way you can cultivate the holy mind is by listening to the Word of God. By memorizing the Word of God. 
by fellowshipping in prayer, by fellowshipping with other believers. And notice what he says here now in verse 14, as obedient children. You can be an obedient child of God, obedient son and daughter of God as obedient children. Verse 14, not conforming yourself to the former lust or to your former desires. Don't slip back. To the former lifestyle when you all you want to do is satisfy your own flesh. And this is what he tells them in verse 14. Conforming yourselves to your former lust as in your ignorance. Do you remember back when you didn't know any better? Well, don't conform yourself. Don't blend in. Don't go now and now subject yourself to the days when you used to just live that way to please yourself. Do not do that. Don't conform yourself. What did Paul tell the church in the book of Romans chapter 12 verse 2? And do not be conformed, but be transformed. And where does he begin? By the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and perfect will of God. Do you see how it begins now in the mind? I'm going to make a conscience decision that whatever doesn't honor God that comes through my mind, I am going to reject. And I'm going to cultivate a mind that is fixed on the Word of God and on spiritual things from above. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 2, Peter says this, that you should no longer, no longer live as the rest of His time in the flesh for the lust of men, but for the will of God. No longer live for the flesh. No longer live for the sin. No longer live for that past. When you lived to satisfy your own flesh and in your own passions and your own desires. That you no longer go but would, would go back to that lifestyle. And notice what he tells us here in verse 15. But as he who called you is holy, notice this, you also must be holy in all of your conduct. <laughs> in the circle the word all here. Because obedient children, guess what they are? They pursue holiness. <laughs> Obedient children pursue holiness. The word holy in the Greek is the word hagios, which means to set apart. But it also means moral purity. You want to define how holiness looks like in everyday life? It means moral purity, holiness. And just like the God that you serve, the God that you have, just like He is holy, He is set apart, He is pure now, you also, in all your conduct and in all your behavior, in everything you do, hear what he's saying, you also must be holy. In fact, he backs it up with scripture. Look what he says in verse 16. Because it is written. This is not my opinion. This is not something that I just want to put you under a bondage that I don't want to, you know, let you have fun or to pleasure yourself in the things that you want to in this world. This is not because I want to hold you back. This is because this is what the Word of God says. In fact, in Leviticus chapter 11, verse 44, God told the nation of Israel, I've called you to be holy. I've called you to be a people that is separated unto me. That's what holiness means, separated from the world and separated to God. Verse 16, notice what it says, because it is written, be holy for I am holy. Holiness is required from our lives. That is God's plan for your life. That is God's will for your life. That we would be dedicated completely to God and completely away from sin of this world. It's been said before that holiness is the habit of being in one mind with God. Holiness 
is the habit of being in one mind with God. Are you in one mind with the Lord right now? Because holiness essentially defines the Christian character and the new nature of the born again believer. And he's saying here, if you're associated with the holy God because you've been born again, you must treat him with fear and with reverence and you must treat his word with respect and with obedience because you glorify him best when you're like him. That's why in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 1, Paul told the church in Ephesus, Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. Who are you imitating today? Where do you receive your influence from? You see a lot of people imitating. They want to imitate the world. They want to imitate what is the latest now trend. You know for the Christian, what is the number one now pursuit of our Christian life should be? It should be to be more like Christ and to know Him. And oftentimes we can't be like Him because we don't know Him. We need to spend time in His Word. That's why in verse 17 now, He's going to talk about the living hope. First, he gave us a call to holiness, but also the living hope. Notice in verse 17, he's going to remind us now. He says, and if you call on the Father who without partiality judges, according to each one's work, conduct yourself through the time of your stay here in fear. And if you pray to God, and if you call unto Him, your heavenly Father, since you know God, since you're calling on God, notice this, who without partiality, He plays no favorites. He will judge you according to your works. He will now hold you accountable according to your conduct and according to your conduct, He will judge or He will reward. This is what it says in verse 17. Without partiality, He has no favorites. And He's going to look at your conduct. And we're going to have to give an answer to our conduct. This is why He says in verse 17 that we ought to conduct ourselves. That you ought to behave yourself throughout the time of your stay here in fear. Throughout the time of your stay here in fear. What does this mean? That you have to have a reverent fear and obedience during your stay here. During your time here now. Because you're temporary residents. Now just imagine checking in somewhere for vacation at a hotel. And you know that you're only there for a time. That's not your home. Right? But you also know that that place has its own set of rules and regulations that you have to upkeep in regards to that location. In fact, they, uh, they make you take a, they, they ask for your credit card when you get there because if something goes missing, they're going to charge you as to what you did for while you stay there temporarily. And here he's reminding the Christian believer, notice this, you're going to hit, give an account as to what you did during your temporary stay on earth. Do you see why he says during your time here you should live in reverent fear? During your time here, which is very, uh, it's, it's really a very short time. During our lifetime here, which is very, a very short time, very limited time, we should live in obedient, reverent fear to God. Now notice what he says here in verse 18 now. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, but why should I live in obedience? Because He did not pay for your freedom when you were in bondage to sin. And you weren't ransomed. Well, this is what it means. You weren't, you, you, you weren't bought. He didn't pay the price for your freedom now with perishable things or with corruptible things like silver or gold. 
from your aimless conduct that you received by the tradition of your fathers. You see, what did we receive from the tradition of our fathers? Who, who, which fathers is he talking about? Our sin nature, our Adamic fathers, those of the sin nature like Adam, what did we receive? We received that passed down sin. And here he's saying, you know what? God did not free you from the bondage of your sin so that you can continue to live in the world. And this is what he tell, he's telling them. He did not purchase you. He did not pay with such a temporary now value. That wasn't what he paid for. The work in your life wasn't done with temporary things when he rescued you from your aimless conduct. What's an aimless conduct? God rescued you from an empty life. And when he rescued you from that empty life, he didn't do it with something that was temporary or something that was monetary, something that was only valuable here on earth. He didn't do it with that. When you were empty and you were in bondage, he rescued you with something much more precious than something that was temporary. And notice what he says here in verse 19. But with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. This is amazing here. Now I want you to look at the word that says here, precious. It wasn't temporary. It wasn't corruptible. Where it can corrupt, where it can become old. But it was precious now. It was costly what he used to pay for your freedom. It was costly what he used to pray now for the judgment of your sins. It was honorable. It was a sinless, spotless, perfect sacrifice. It was the Lamb of God. In Acts chapter 20, verse 28, what do we see here? That we are exhorted now. And we are reminded. Well, the apostle says this, Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock which is among you that the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God. Shepherd the church of God. We are the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. Notice this. God did not purchase you with anything else but the blood of his son. It had to be the perfect sacrifice. It was the Lamb of God. In the Old Testament, it would require that a lamb's blood was shed for the forgiveness of the sins of a household. And what the Lord did is that He sent His own Son, Jesus, so that the, the spilled blood of the perfect sacrifice in the Lamb of God would wipe away our sins. What does the precious blood do? As we even take communion right now and we remember of the blood. Number one, the blood washes you from your sin. Number two, it pays the penalty for your sin. And you know what it also does? It sets you free. And that's why we need the blood of the Lamb. In Him we have redemption through our sins now. Because of the blood of the Lamb. In fact, in verse 20, He says this, He indeed, God indeed, or Christ indeed, was foreordained. This was part of God's perfect plan. The perfect now Lamb of God before the foundation of the world but was manifested in these last times for you. This was God's plan for, from the beginning of time. That He would save you of your sins before you even committed them, before the foundations of the world. And now it's been revealed to you in the days of the Messiah that you would know that it was through Christ that you would receive your forgiveness. This was always a part of God's plan, that He would rescue you of your sin. It was always part of His plan. In verse 21, He tells us, Who through Him, through Jesus... You believe in God who raised him, Jesus, from the dead and gave him, Jesus, now glory so that your faith and hope are in God. 
And it is through Christ Jesus, through the precious Lamb of God now, that you have faith in God and that you trust in God, who He raised now, Christ, He raised Him from the dead and He glorified Him. Now this is the gospel, the very simple gospel that He's reminding us. That you ought to live a holy life, that you ought to have your mind under control, because you are called to live now, covered by the blood of the Lamb and called separated because of the Lamb of God. But notice here how the encouragement continues. Because how are we to maintain holiness, you would ask yourself. Well, yes, I was separated by the blood of the Lamb. I gave my life to the Lord. But this is what He's asking us to do now. Not only to be holy, but also to keep our focus on the Word of God. Because the Word of God keeps us holy. Look at what He says here in verse now 20. Since you have been purified your souls, how, do you, how are you purified in your souls? By obeying the truth. You see, purification or sanctification comes when we are obeying the truth. Obeying the Word of God. There comes a great change in your life when you get in the Word of God. But not only when you get in the Word of God, notice this, when the Word of God gets in you. <laughs> and the change starts to happen now. And he says, listen to what happens here. Since you have been purified in your souls because you've obeyed the truth through the Spirit now, in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Now you're called to live in obedience to the Word of God. And because you're called to live in obedience to the Word of God, because the Word of God purifies now your soul, so now, Show, number one, sincere love. He's going to talk about two types of love. Sincere love, and then he's going to talk about fervent love. What is sincere love? Because you're obeying the truth now, you ought to show an unhypocritical love to one another. It can't be fake. You can't say you love that person, but you speak about them. No, you're obeying the truth. You're in the Word of God. So now, show something that is Authentic. Show something that is sincere. Show something that is real now. That you love one another this way. And notice this. You love them also with a fervent and a pure heart. Now what does it mean to be fervent? Fervent means a love that is willing to be stretched to the limits. That's a fervent love. A love now that is now passionate about meeting people's needs wherever they are at. Therefore, he's reminding them, since you're obeying the truth, it should be manifested to other people in sincere love and in fervent love. What did Jesus say? I give you a new commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Now notice verse 23, it says, having been born again. This is the fruit of the Spirit, love. They would be real and that it would be fervent. You've been born again spiritually now. Not of corruptible seed, not of something that is that will die. We're not born again from, from just our human flesh, but we're born again spiritually. It's not perishable, but it's an imperishable seed. What's the imperishable seed that we've been born again through? The Word of God. Therefore, our lives now are not marked here on earth, but we are looking forward to heaven. It's not perishable. We don't live now only to simply die. In fact, we die so that we can live. And that's what he's telling them. He's saying in verse 23, Having been born again, not of a corruptible seed, but of an incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. You know how you were born again now? You were born again not of a human, now 
flesh or according to human flesh, he's saying. But when you were born again, you were born again through the Spirit of God and through the Word of God. And let me tell you this, he's saying the Word of God doesn't perish. The Word of God doesn't die. The Word of God has no end. The Word of God stands the test of time. The Word of God is here eternal. And because the Word of God is eternal and you were born of the Word of God, now you have eternal life. Do you see that we are born here on earth, a natural birth? What happens as soon as we're born? We're on our way to what? To decay. <laughs> but when we were born of the Word of God, which the Word of God is eternal, we are on our way to eternal life. And this is exactly what he's showing them now. Notice what he gives us an analogy now. And he says here, through the Word of God which abides or endures or is everlasting forever. Because all the flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is as the flower of the grass. When you look at the grass, how beautiful it looks now, right? What is that? It happens to grass. It dries up. And even he talks about the flowers of the grass, the beauty and flowers. What happens to that beauty of the flowers? They also even dry up. They're temporary. It's only a temporary life in the grass or temporary life in that flower. The grass withers and the flowers fails away. Notice this. The grass withers and the flowers fall away. But the word of God, verse 25, endures forever. And that's what we stand on today, the word of God. Because we cannot stand on anything else and expect holiness in our life. Here he draws from the prophet Isaiah chapter 40, verse 6 through 8, where he says here that everything else will perish. Everything else will get old. Everything else will die. But the word of God endures forever. And you have been born of the word of God through the spirit of God. Notice this. Everything else, all the beauty of man, it's drying up, it gets old, it is temporary, but the Word of God will last the test of time. Now notice this here, and now, this is the Word here, I love this here, the last verse, which by the Gospel, which preached to you. That word there where it says Word, the word Word, what it means here, it means Logos, which is translated to the spoken Word of God. This is the spoken word of God. This is the very breath of God by which the gospel was preached to you. This is amazing here because he gives us now a direct contrast from the things that you want to invest on, the things that get old like money, like success, like career, like our life here on earth that one day will end here on earth now. And then he gives us a contrast now to a lifestyle of living for eternity where he says you were born of the word of God the word of God endures and the word of God is eternal therefore your life is now eternal in the Lord now you know one thing here is that the word of God does one thing for us the word of God keeps us living in holiness how much are you in the word of God how much are you in the word of God today because that's what keeps you in holiness been said before that this book, the Bible that you hold in your hand, it will keep you from sin. It will keep you from sin. But sin also will keep you from this book. When we're living in sin, it's going to keep us away from the truth of the Word of God. But when you are in the Word of God and the Word of God is in you, it's going to keep you away from the sins of this life. Do you see why we need to continue to say, Lord, I want to grow from that which I've been born again from? I've been born again from something that's eternal. 
something that's not perishable, something that's not corruptible. I've been born again of something that is everlasting. It's the word of God. Therefore, therefore, notice what he says, therefore, we ought to be holy. So how do we sum this up in three major points? Number one, discipline your mind. Be holy and love fervently. Discipline your mind. Love, live holy and love fervently. Why don't we pray right now as we get our hearts ready to take communion. Lord Heavenly Father, we thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Lord, because you reminded us today that we are just sojourners. We're just pilgrims passing by. Thank you, Lord, because you reminded us that you're producing something in us that is holy. You're producing something in us through these trials, through this suffering, Lord. And I ask right now, Jesus, by the power of your spirit, you would teach us to grow spiritually in the days that we're living in through hostility, the value in the trial. And that you let us look at the finished race, which the end is the salvation of our souls. Because when we think about these things, Lord, we can gird up the loins of our mind. When we think about these things, Lord, we can discipline and control our mind. We can put our hope on heaven. We can be sober-minded so that we live holy lives, Lord. We ask God that you'd give us the strength, the power through your spirit so that we can do that, Lord. Thank you for your eternal word that it's enduring. The logos, the spoken word. It was your very breath. We ask right now, Jesus, that it would change us as we obey it. So that we can love, Lord, sincerely and that we can love fervently. We thank you for your blood. Now we're going to get ready with this song to take communion.